This is Game Theory, our podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. Hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we talk kings, queens, and emperors. The longest-standing monarch in English history, Queen Elizabeth II, died in the late summer months of 2022. She was on the throne for some 60-plus years before passing away at the age of 96. Now, as her son Charles assumes the throne, it begs the question, what are we doing here? Why are monarchies still around? How many are there? How did this happen? What do they do? In this episode of Game Theory, me and Chris have a free-flowing conversation about the game theory of why monarchies came to be, how Julius Caesar got around the law, and how many monarchies are still around. But surely doing nothing is no job at all. To do nothing is the hardest job of all, and it will take every ounce of energy that you have. Welcome to episode 40 of Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, decision-making, sports, fraud, dating, war, shopping, whatever. Chris, it's about... In other words, all the stuff that you're interested in your life. Yeah, life. It's about life. It's about, you know, stuff with people and doing things. And speaking of that, we have some news to report on the home front. We didn't record last weekend because you were away convincing someone... To marry you. And how'd that go? It was generally successful. Uh, player three, I proposed to an adult human who has many features, some of which are observable. And that human person, adult, requested five to seven business days to respond to my request. So which is pretty fast. Hopefully, it, you know, all things considered, we live in the age of, the, of snail mail. So yeah. I, I think it's going to... It's going to turn out well for me. So congratulations. We had some, we had some important engagements uh, this this last week. Yes. So congratulations to Chris. That's where he was, and that's why we didn't do an episode. But we have a lot of things to discuss, including we're going to do an episode on fall, which is super duper exciting because it's that time of year. The first leave fell in Connecticut, and now it's time. Everyone Did you say the first leave fell in Connecticut? It's leaf, right? With an F. I think it, I thought you said leave. The first leave, like you were about to say leaves, like, like the Louvre, but like a douche oh, pronunciation. All right, all Livre. right. Uh, yeah. So also, um, we are going to do another dating game because it's going to be cuffing season soon. So we're going to do an update on what's uh, what's happening out there for those of you that are in the scene. And uh, basically, RIP is what I would say. Every time we do research on that subject, it's really fun and, and illuminating and. Uh, a little depressing, to be frank. Yeah, we all kind of come together in our misery when it t- comes to talking about dating. Mm-hmm. Everything feels so much more bleak, and I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just because Nick, I never really tried my hand at the uh, at the dating apps. I figured, sure. you know, that's a that's a game that's best not to play yeah. to uh, to be thematic. And we will but talk about that. It just seems so much more so much more challenging, so much more work, so more 
more, so much more exhausting to yeah. try to play that game. And when fall rolls around, people start getting romantic, but the game gets saturated and it, it just becomes more discouraging as you head into winter. So, yep. so best of luck out there, player yeah. three. If you're uh, if you're still trying to find the one or the several, you know, I don't know what you're into. I don't know what you're into. But no if you're playing saying. the game, we wish you the best. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to do that coming up this fall, which will be fun. The Fraudster Files will continue to roll on. We have to rate all of our people. And speaking of we that... Do. You can like, rate, review this podcast if you'd like it and you want other people to find it. The best way to do that is to go on Apple Podcasts, regardless of where you listen, and give us a five-star rating. And then Apple will be like, this is a good show. People should listen to this one. Become addicted to our app. Enjoy this, please. Also, would like to say that our buddy John started a subreddit, which you can find a link to in the show notes. Shouts to John. Thanks for doing that. That is the official unofficial Player 3 Game Theory Podcast subreddit. And uh, so we have one of those. We're basically just trying to find a way. At the, se- the second step of a podcast is to give you, Player 3, a place to hang out and to talk and get mad at us and get mad at each other. That's the goal. And speaking of that, I also want to shout my friend Charles for DMing me and saying that he was a uh, fan of the show and he's been listening for some time. And turns out we kind of uh, rub shoulders in the same industry, which is the senior living and senior housing space. So that was kind of fun. And maybe, maybe we'll do an episode on that because I explained my job to you. And everyone's like, wow, that's a little bit more interesting of a niche than we ever thought it yeah. was. I, I mean, I think it's a broader reflection of society, as are all of my flaws, that I seldom think about living conditions for seniors. Yep. And I think it'd be really interesting to talk about that. So shout out to Charles. Yep. Appreciate you reaching out. Absolutely, absolutely, no doubt about it. And speaking of senior living, let's talk about Buckingham Palace. Senior Ooh. living or senior dying. R.I.P. Oh. to Lizzie. Um, yes. Queen Elizabeth the QE2, second. QE2, I think. Uh, yeah, she is She is the second Queen Elizabeth. Right. Uh, player three, you probably know more about the monarchy than we do in terms of the history of like who has been where at what times how many Richards and Charleses and Edwards and Elizabeths and all of that that have sat on the the Iron Throne of the Great British Monarchy. So we're not going to talk in a lot of detail about that. This isn't a history lesson, okay? But we are interested in the phenomenon of having a monarch in the year of our Lord 2022. It's a curious thing to me. I don't really understand it. I remember having this one vivid moment in college when a buddy of mine was just kind of sitting on his couch and he looked at me and he said, Chris, Saudi Arabia is a kingdom. (laughs) And that was the first time I really consciously thought about the fact that like kings and queens and princes, like royalty and stuff like that still very much exists today. Because you say those words, I start thinking about a Rush album that's clearly alluding to like some medieval ages, revolutionary type stuff, overthrowing the king and giving the power to the people, all that. And it's bizarre to think that in really prominent, powerful countries, not in like obscure, small territories or whatever, in really important geopolitical locations kings and queens still reign today and it's it's in the front of everybody's minds now i think with the passing of queen elizabeth ii all around the united states now flags are at half staff or half mast if you're on a boat uh, in honor of the queen in uh, in respect to her memory and it's just a very very strange thing to think about as somebody who has lived all his life in a true no kidding representative democracy yeah, it's 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 really kind of strange, especially because like true top down monarchies, which we're going to get to, because there are some weird game theory arguments for maybe like how does that work and why is that a good thing, why is that a bad thing. There, those are a little bit more rare, but these kind of constitutional Commonwealth monarchies 
are more common, and there are a lot more than you think. There are 43 right now. 43, that many? 43. So I'm going to go through them. This is going to happen one time because this is not a podcast about lists. No. Antigua and Barbuda, the Bahamas, Belize, Canada, Grenada, Jamaica, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Lucia, St. Vincent, the Grenadines, Solomon Islands, Tavalu, the United Kingdom. That's all the Commonwealth realms. realms. Also in Europe, Andorra, Belgium, Denmark, Luxembourg, the Kingdom of the Netherlands, Norway, Spain, and Sweden. And when we get into the Muslim monarchies, we have Brunei, Oman, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, Jordan, Malaysia, Morocco, and the UAE. Bhutan, Cambodia, Japan, Thailand. Japan is a kingdom? According to this thing, yes. Wow. Yeah. So and that's, and that's the point. Like these constitutional monarchies, we know that they have a prime minister and there's like parliaments and things. That's it's like these countries, and this is what's really interesting to me. They're, they're, these are mascots, right? But they're people. That's what it, that's kind of what it seems like. So like the real question that we have player three today is what is the role of a monarch, mm. a monarchy as a system of governance in today's world. It's a very it's a very strange thing. Like where does that come from? You know, intuitively I think we can all understand somebody who wants power and finds themselves with the opportunity to take it is going to consolidate that power and they're going to extend their reign as far as they can and just basically perpetuate their own existence. But in a world that has seen the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution and has generally seen democratization spread around the globe, to say nothing of communism. Mm. It's very strange to kind of think about like consolidating power as a legitimate form of, of governance today on the basis of like somebody's inheritance, like a, a child is born and they will be the ruler of the land for the next generation or whatever. It's, it's very bizarre to think about that. So we're kind of asking ourselves today, how does that happen? How does that start? And how does that play itself out in the modern world? And we're asking that because of the passing of, of Queen Elizabeth II uh, last week. Oh, by the way, Nick, I don't know if I told you. Yeah. Uh, when uh, my human adult partner and I were, uh, when we got the news, we were at the top of Rendezvous Mountain in Jackson. We had just ridden the tram up mm-hmm. to uh, Corbett's cabin. They have a little mm-hmm. cabin on top of the mountain there. It sells like waffles and drinks and coffee and right, stuff. Right, right. And we were standing in line ready to get our waffles and uh, the news broke. We got service up on top of the mountain and the notification said that Queen Elizabeth II a dad. Yeah, and um, so it's, it's really kind of interesting. You can dive deep into this. Maybe we'll post some TikToks in the show notes. So there's some royal and British monarchical experts on TikTok who are saying that like people were kind of understanding that it was serious when, when Harry and Meghan, Meghan is that? Yeah, Meghan Markle, they were going to over there. They're like, oh, so she's like dead. And like they're going to tell everyone. It's called Operation London Bridge. London Bridge is down. Is what they would say. And then they, they walk the piece of paper from the palace to the palace gate so that people can read it. And then everybody understands what's going on that she had passed. But she was 96 years old. She celebrated a platinum jubilee, which back in the day, I think Queen Elizabeth I was sometime in the medieval renaissance period. Uh, yeah, nobody was expecting anybody to have a platinum jubilee <laughs> at that. Having a platinum birthday is, would have been a mind-blowing accomplishment back in those days. So, of course, she's the longest reigning monarch. But back to the role of the monarch. So... In the United Kingdom, with all of their territories and, and lands and things, it's, it, it seems like it was for a long time just a normal monarchy, but then they held on to it. And now the only thing that I really understand about this is what I see on TikTok and what I learned in watching The Crown, Chris, and it just seems as if 
this person is supposed to be a physical embodiment of just like a nice Brit. Yeah, it, it, it almost feels like the best monarch would be like Stephen Fry. Yeah. Like sure. quintessential British man mm-hmm. who's just a nice person to think about every once in a while. Like more like a more like a Paddington, like a storybook character than somebody of actual authoritative responsibility. I think that sits really well with people who like history and tradition and their kind of roots and this this like atavistic drive to like understand and be connected with one's like historical origin. I, I think I think monarchies serve really well symbolically to kind of fill that niche. But I also think the monarchy as we understand it today with Queen Elizabeth II and now King Charles, I guess, being sort of like a figurehead without any like real authority over governance because those responsibilities are, are with the parliament, with elected officials. I think that plays well to modern sensibilities for people who live in a liberal democracy and who get a voice in how their country is run. It's it's a nice little spot for them to, to occupy. Uh, it does lend itself to some really strange traditions. Like you mentioned rituals like posting the notice in front of the palace gates so that people can see. And there's like all these weird, like historical rituals that the Royal family and the Royal family managers, I don't know how you describe those people, but they kind of carry out these rituals, like going to certain locations. And like, there's that stuff with like the beekeepers. Did you hear about that? No, there's like a tradition in beekeeping that a beekeeper will like talk to the bees and tell them about important events in their life like, oh, my son got engaged, or oh, my grandmother is deathly ill, or whatever. And I think like the royal beekeepers had like did this formal. I don't know if it was like formal, maybe it was informal, but it was kind of like a a bizarre ceremony where he like informed the bees that the queen had died. And it's a really good thing they can't understand English, otherwise they probably would have like shit their pants. Yeah, the bees, they got a queen. But uh, <laughs> there's like all these like really weird rituals come into play when you have like historical niceties yeah. that are that, that are kept at a distance from the people by representative democracy. And I now understand because like I saw a joke on government. Twitter about this and I didn't understand why it was funny, but now it's funny because the guy was like, man tells bees, queen is dead. Bees, what? Man, queen of <laughs> England is dead. Oh. Rich, I'm, gonna go, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to look up like royal beekeeper because I want to get that. Yeah. I want to get that little detail right. Like, I, I, I heard about that somewhere. Like I wasn't planning on talking about that. It must be because I saw the joke and I was like, that is a funny joke. Why? But then now if that the royal beekeeper has to tell the bees and the bees are like, the queen is dead? No, the queen of England. Like, <laughs> oh, res- it is the guy, I think the, the finish of the joke was resumes buzzing. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, like what the fuck is England? So I am on, I, in our research, I Googled, why is the monarch important? And it came to the royal.uk website, which... Ron Swanson appeared in your computer screen and said, it isn't. It isn't. That's exactly right. So here's the quote from the Queen's website, like the official one. As the head of state, the monarch undertakes constitutional and representational duties, which have developed over 1,000 years of history. In addition to these state duties, the monarch has a less formal role as the, quote, head of nation. The sovereign acts as a focus for national identity, unity, and pride, gives a sense of stability and continuity, officially recognizes success and excellence, and supports the ideal of voluntary service. What is unclear to me, Chris, that's end quote, is do the Brits care that much? Because it seems like we kind of care more. 
Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know if that's like proximity bias, like us just being around American media and like the American response. Like the only way that we can understand this is as foreigners. It does seem to me that the farther away from Ireland you get, yeah, the sadder people are about the Queen. <laughs> I think the Irish are just like, they're just like going ham. Yeah, right them and the Scots are not sad. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really curious thing. But then at the same time, I mean... This stuff about national identity, national pride, mm-hmm. a sense of unity, a sense of continuity, all of that kind of makes sense. I mean, none of us have, well, player three, sorry for making assumptions about you. Most of us have never lived in a world without Queen Elizabeth at the helm. Yep. I mean, she's been, a, she's been a monarch, Nick, for 30% of U.S. history. Yeah, that's true. Like it, it's, it's crazy to think about how long she has been. Uh, at the helm, and and you know she was involved in World War II. She served the country. Yep. You know, it's not like she was just you know born on the silver spoon and did nothing for the rest of her life. Like her her acts of symbolism and her recognition of like true British excellence, so to speak, you know, by knighting people and giving people kind of honorary recognition. I, I think that does play a pretty important role in in British culture. And you know, because Great Britain has such a, an important and controversial and prominent, well well understood. Uh, historical legacy her presence isn't just important to british people it's important to the west at large and and by extension like the rest of the globe i mean whether whether you love or hate the monarchy or whether you love or hate great britain like you gotta understand like this is one of the most important personages in modern history yeah she kind of reminds me of how people who are not catholic must see the pope and like you're a thing that is important and you're like a figure and like i guess sort of morally you're a guide but you're also just like invited to things so if you're a catholic it makes sense that this is the leader like sort of if you're british but if not then like this is just kind of like a king but not my king and they're like relevant always yeah i I think that's a really good analogy i mean like I, i was joking with my friends like how many wars have we fought so that we wouldn't have to pay attention to what kings and queens? Yes, thought? I saw that on like America Twitter a lot. It was like, if we're like, why are we sad? Like, it's like she's really yeah. great, but she was ninety six. She was probably her husband passed away, and apparently she was inconsolably sad in the last year or so after after Prince Philip died, and she's ninety six. You just don't want this poor woman to be just laying there, forced to go to public appearances, and just think like, God damn it, I wish I was dead. Like that would that's yeah. what would suck. Yeah, for sure. And I think part of our sadness, or at least our uh, our paying respects, comes from the fact that U.S. and Great British relations over the last seventy five to one hundred years have been really strong. I mean, they're they're about as strong an ally as you can ask for. Um, Canada has probably a closer relationship, but they're just not a strong ally. Sorry, Canada. I mean, yeah. I just, I, I mean, yeah. just there's just no respect there. No, there isn't. <laughs> but yeah. I, I think it's I think it's like an important person in this like Western civilization yeah. uh, because of the historical legacy and because of you know, the the unfortunate ugliness of colonization and empire uh, but also on the <laughs> other hand because of like the resilience of the democratic spirit and people's love for like a liberal lifestyle where you do get to determine what your own fate is and you do get to try to make the most of and for yourself as you possibly can like i she she is an important player and an important part of that global liberal order Right. And I think that's worth at least some recognition, whether you actually mourn or not uh, as as an individual, I think is is different than, you know, nationally. We got to we got to give credit where credit's due. Game yeah, got to recognize I, game. I, yeah, exactly. I, I do think that as time passes, this the British monarch in particular is becoming less and less relevant. I know that like 
King, I forget her father's name. Was he a George? I don't know. Whoever he was, his the speech he gave for World War One and World War Two. Was it George? I think it was Edward. It might have been Edward. I think you're right. I think it was Edward because yeah. he he his brother abdicated. His brother, who was a Nazi, essentially sympathizer, abdicated, and then he became king. And then he is Elizabeth's father. So she was never supposed to be queen. Essentially, um, her. No, I was. I, by the way, I was wrong. I just looked it up. It was George the sixth. Yeah, George. I was, thought uh, was the father of uh, of Elizabeth. Right, and he uh, took and over he was when. The, uh, yeah, December 1936 until yep. he died in 1952. So, right. I, I mean, just, just compare the length of those terms. 16 years to more than 70. He had, like, lung cancer or pancreatic cancer or something really bad and died very young, relatively. Like, he died younger than I think than the, the current king uh, is. I, I, I could be wrong. I think the current king is older than when his grandfather would have died, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about as well. But, okay. okay. If Wikipedia is to be believed, he was <laughs> born in December... 1895, and he died in February 1952. So mm. not not old, not, not an old, old guy. at all. Yeah, but he, but he, but my point is that he gave that big speech in World War II, and he was very much of like we can do this and, and whatnot. But the king and the queen, Queen Elizabeth, was is not supposed to have a hand in making national decisions. And the crown, the reason the crown, the show is really interesting is well, BBC and British produced things do an insanely good job at like high level film schooly kind of stuff. So it's it's a beautiful show. It's well acted, all of that jazz, but. It's good at kind of the relationship between the, the monarch and the government where, like, something bad is happening to the people, but the monarch is not supposed to call the prime minister and say, will you fix this? Like, she, it's not her role. She's not supposed to have any more influence on the government than a normal person, but she can call them and, like, slap them on the wrist and be like, the people are upset about this. Like, it's it's, it's kind of a weird, delicate thing, but it seems like that influence is, is con constantly being chipped away. People have the internet, and they're like, I don't really care I disagree with the queen. I don't really give a shit about this. That's becoming more and more of a thing where like in 1936 and the king is like, we can do it. That was a really poignant and important message. You know, when Hitler's knocking at the door, it's like, I think it's just kind of a weird thing that it's now the queen night stuff. I, I had a weird existential moment with this as well. Like, the Premier League was in a period of mourning, so they canceled their matches for like five day periods. So they canceled their, oh their, their match day. What was weird about it was all of them changed their logos on social media and on the internet from the colors of their scheme to black background with a white logo. And I thought like, I just can't imagine the weirdness of this. Like a hundred years ago, it's like a period of mourning everywhere is black for 10 days. Now there's like a social media manager and they're on the phone with all the other social media managers of soccer teams. And they're like, so we're doing the black thing. Yeah. Okay. So Photoshop your thing. We'll do it. We'll all do it at the same time. So now all of our logos are black. Like that'll be a good way to show support like this. What a weird moment that is. Like that, yeah, it's it, it's Twitter a very logos. detached and like strangely modern take on traditional mourning. Like mm -hmm. social mores have basically been like I, I don't know if it's like you can say they've been like translated to the internet. Like it's more like they've been relegated to the internet to use a Premier League term. Mm -hmm. they, well, yeah, they, we do our mourning online when it's convenient for us, and otherwise we don't. Like it doesn't affect our day to day lives. Yeah, that's, ex that's maybe exactly. that's maybe that's less true for people here than for people in the in the United Kingdom. And so who knows? If, player three, if you're if you happen to be located uh, in the kingdom, uh, let us know how life is going over there. But uh, here, I mean, it hasn't substantially changed except for like the things I see on my cell phone. Yeah, it's ex and I noticed it. And I was like, wait, did they all do this? Then they did. I mean, it's kind of kind of cool, I guess. But better than all the teams wearing the same, we're all wearing like black uniforms to play a game. Like, oh man.
We're really showing respect for the queen, but damn it, we can't tell who anybody is. <laughs> that, that, that's exactly right. It's so interesting. Okay, like, I want to shift here to talking about uh, like arguments for and against absolute monarchy and get into the philosophy of uh, this person named Hobbes and, of course, Jean-Jacques Rousseau and like how absolute monarchy can be reached and why death... Chris is the only reason that people are scared of things and the only reason you could buy in. And this is not well written about. These are like bloggy kind of websites, but it is Stanford allegedly that we're finding this information at. However, it's sort of like a little bit of a prisoner's dilemma, but then also like a stag hunt. Like we all have to agree that this monarch has absolute power. And the reason that we can buy into the future of this is because we're going to die and the monarch is going to die. And so I, did I get that right? This is Hobbes and Rousseau, the social contract of the absolute monarchy. Yeah. So you're, you're describing specific examples of the general concept of the social contract theory. So anybody who's taken like a, like a government 101 type of class or like maybe a philosophy 101 has probably heard of the social construct, social contract as a philosophical construct. Uh, the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy is here to, to save the day and give us the basic explainer of, of, of what this is. So social contract theory is the view that persons moral and or political obligations are dependent on a contract or agreement among themselves uh, to form the society in which they live. So imagine a world where there's no such thing as government. Nobody is making laws. Nobody's telling anybody what to do. It's just you're out there free and good luck to you. Social contract theorists like these philosophers like Rousseau and like Hobbes looked at the state of nature and kind of ran the thought experiment. Like what would happen in a true state of nature? How, how would that play itself out? And depending on who you ask, the state of nature gives rise to different forms of social contracts. Uh, there are more liberal interpretations. Uh, John Locke is a, a prominent philosopher on whose writings the Constitution is largely based. The Declaration of Independence has strains of John Locke's writing in it. Uh, and that's because the American Founding Fathers recognized his genius as, as a proponent of individual rights and liberties. Uh, but there are other, a little bit more um, authoritarian, shall we say, takes on the state mm. of nature. Uh, and probably the most prominent among those is uh, is the philosopher Thomas Hobbes. Uh, so Hobbes described what he called the Leviathan. Like, that, that was kind of his name for what the government would become in the state of nature. And he, he had this awesome quotation uh, about what the uh, what the state of nature would look like. I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking it up here so I can make sure to get... Uh, the exact quotation right. Uh, but he, he said it was just this absolutely brutal, uh, let's see, solitary. Nope, that's not what I'm looking for. Sorry, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find this player three. Sorry. No, 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 it's fine. This is great. I mean, I wish I had the Jeopardy clock. Do, 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 Oh, no. No, I can't find it. Okay, all right. He, he, Hobbes described the state of nature as solitary, nasty, brutish, and short. Mm, good. So imagine you're out in the state of nature. You're just living your life, and along comes somebody who is bigger, faster, stronger, and meaner than you. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no no structure. There's no social order. There is no nothing to stop this person from beating the hell out of you and taking your lunch money right. and just leaving you to die. Like the state of nature does not provide any protection for people who are not big, who are not fast, who are not capable, who are not smart, who are not well-prepared, who don't have a, 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 a plethora of resources at their disposal. The state of nature is just cruel. It's nature. And, yeah, right, exactly. You can't run away from the wolf. The wolf's going to eat you. 
That, that, that's exactly right. And you know, the, you, you can't run away from the thief. The thief is going to steal from you. The, the, the basic foundation for Hobbes' philosophy is this just terrible, terrible set of living conditions in which there is no such thing as a safety net. So Hobbes' argument then, if you, if you consider this in terms of, of, of like game theory, is that without some kind of some some kind of constraint on what people can and can't do to each other without some kind of framework to like to to mitigate absolute freedom to do things like steal and attack and do whatever else then anarchy is is going to reign and so cooperation among people isn't impossible it isn't possible in that case right cooperation is impossible because people are would just be out to maximize their own welfare you know, it, the 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 problem is that you can be as altruistic as you want you can be as community minded and socially oriented and, and and other focused as you want but the moment that somebody who is big fast and strong enough and selfish enough comes in and wrecks all of that it, it, it's for nothing right. all the cooperation in the world is gone because somebody just decided to be selfish. It's it's a classic example of the prisoner's dilemma. Yeah, and it's uh, and you you see that in you know social Darwinism now with like rich people and people with resources and anybody who it, it's it's very simple. And sports are such a great way to explain all of this. Like you know Bill Belichick and Tom Brady very clearly cheated in multiple high level games, including the Super Bowl against the Eagles in two thousand four. It worked. They won. Yep. End of conversation. Like they won. You can't un they they can't unwin. Like I went to Ole Miss. We paid players. We kicked the shit out of Alabama two years in a row. Wikipedia says we didn't win those games. I watched them. We won. We won. Right. Yeah. Like there's there's nothing you can do in effect. I mean, you can you can have all of the the moral arrangements and the speeches against yeah. doing the wrong thing. That that's great. But in the state of nature. Morality is not a stable enforcer of social cooperation. Right. You, you can't rely on people's sense of right and wrong to actually structure society. And so Hobbes argues that in order to get protection from this, this just gross violation of morals by people who just kind of feel like it and can get away with it, you have to come together and invest authority into a person or structure that has absolute authority. Like they're they're the be all end all. The buck stops with them. They have the monopoly on the use of force, and they consolidate power. Because if you don't do that, then there's no way to get protection. And it, the 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 term social contract arises because what people are giving up in that situation is like their absolute freedom. So I might not be the biggest, fastest, meanest dude around, but I might be bigger, faster, and meaner than the next guy over, and so right. I can just go take his stuff. So I give up my freedom to do things like that, and to do things that are against like the greater good. And in exchange, I get protection from the truly big, bad, mean, selfish people. And the only way that I can get that protection, according to Hobbes, is from this consolidated central government, this Leviathan that monopolizes the use of force. And you can very easily see how that would translate into a monarchy. Because if there's one king, there's one royal family, one person has the final say, all laws emanate from that prime mover, right. then it's pretty straightforward. Listen to the king and obey the laws and you get protection. Yeah, and I think I, my, my gut feeling is that we, everyone kind of figured that out for a period of centuries, prehistorically, Macedonia, Persia, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The Greeks and the Romans were kind of dabbling in this idea of a republic, but as a result of that, they weren't strong and they fell and got their asses kicked. And so the Romans were doing that. And the, the way that things were structured was that they would vote on the, the, 
the scariest military leader or senator to be the king in times of war. Very famously, the first one was named Julius Caesar. And then he was like, yeah, this works really well for me. Um, We're just going to keep doing it this way. And that worked out incredibly well because of some weird legal loopholes that he found. But then they started inbreeding and you get like eating children alive and things and that kind of bad shit. But I almost wonder if in Western society and Western civilization, if the success of the Roman Empire is how medieval Europe and Renaissance Europe, everyone was just kind of striving for how great it used to be. Like, they were like in, in America, this make, make America great again thing where everyone was like, man, the 50s were great. Let's just get back to that place where we were all happy. As I've, I've, I've wondered if, if Europe has been like that for like 200 or 2,000 years. Like, if we could just get back to the way it was when Rome was happy and great. If we could just make that again. Because it just seems like Charlemagne was doing that, Napoleon was doing that, Hitler was doing that, Britain's never really stopped doing that. Everyone's like, man, if we should just like have the gladiator games and everybody just pays their taxes to me and things will be happy. Yeah, I, I wonder if there's like a strange kind of nostalgia that you see from like, but like, like a lot of culture is dictated by people who are in power. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's kind of why the, the lingering effects of the monarchy are that, you know, there's a sense of stability and national pride in the British people because Ours, of the existence of the We're Queen. important, yes. Well, yeah, yeah. Of course the people <laughs> who are important are going to propagate that messaging, and of course they're going to have nostalgia from a, for a time when they had more power and influence. Like, you know, in the 1950s, uh, people who had power and influence looked a certain way, behaved a certain way, lived a certain lifestyle, and uh, it was pretty exclusive. And even people who were like beneficiaries of that certain lifestyle, like 50% of the population, for example, uh, didn't really have the same kind of power and benefit and cultural influence and, and, and basic privilege as uh, the people who were kind of making the rules and, and who, who would kind of long for that time. Like it wasn't a universally excellent time in this country. So yeah. like you wonder, like, is there is, is there this kind of like vibe based nostalgia for like oh yeah i wish the days of the roman empire like well you know you'd probably feel different if you knew your heritage was like carthaginian if you knew that uh your ancestry were slaves in fact well the whole christian pagan thing was like a whole thing too yeah i mean i i i know that uh some of those people are more likely to feel nostalgia for the past in rome than others correct yep exactly right yeah, I, I guess, do want to talk I, about I the laws, about how they elected their, their empire emperors in, in some sort of way, the, the, the loophole they got around of it. Because the, the obvious problem with monarchy is that if you have a good king that takes care of you and protects you, maybe he's kind of crazy or whatever, but like you're safe, we're, we're good. That's why the French kept, were obsessed with Napoleon. It's like we kind of figured the food thing out and like eating is good and we don't get attacked. And Charlemagne was the same way. Like this is why we like them is because we're not getting screwed. Well, Caesar... The obvious problem is that if you don't get a good one, this is how America is born because you're like, we're, you are clearly crazy and we don't want to deal with this. Like, you're dangerous. Caesar found out that he could adopt people. And if you adopt someone, then you can choose your successor. So if you have children, like, that's great, primogeniture. But if you have children and then you, like, blind them, which people don't trust blind people back in the day. You could blind them or kill them and then adopt the guy that you want to be emperor, which is what he did with Octavian, who later became Augustus, widely considered the greatest Roman emperor of all time. I would argue he is the second greatest. That's just my personal Behind statement. who, Nick? Who's your favorite Roman I'm emperor? I'm not going to get into this. I'm not going to be I'm not gonna be nerd-shamed. Not um, on this episode. You will one day, though. It's Trajan, player, of course. Player Trajan, three, it's been, it's been in our list, of, it's been in our list of, of topics for, for quite some time. Trajan is the man. Yeah, Trajan. Not even close. It's a smaller even, name, too. Not even, yeah, it is an insane name. Anyway, so he adopts this guy. That's how he got around it. However, 
not every king figured out laws like that throughout the medieval era. And that's why you have these, these little fiefdoms fighting each other. It's like you're trying to prove to your little group that you're strong enough here. Just make me your lord. Make me your king. And then these other kings like, yeah, but I'm stronger than you. And they fight. And the people are like, well, we're going to go to the guy with the guns because we're way safer with that guy. Because you can't trust heritage. And we're seeing this now with Fortune 500 companies. All of the companies that fall apart are the ones that are privately owned and the son takes over or the daughter takes over. And you're like, Bethlehem Steel, you were such a great company. Oh, the kid is running it. That's why it's a shit show. Yep. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a classic example. I, I was just talking with somebody the other day in my personal life. They, they work for a company, and the son, and he get along really well. And you know, the father's in charge of the company, and he plans to like hand it over to the son one day. A uh, tragic event occurs, and the son is not able to take control of the company anymore, and he's replaced by like the crappier, less less enjoyable son. Yep. You know what that's like, right? Uh, no, I certainly do not. <laughs> Speaking of which, completely unrelated to anything. Uh, Monday Night yeah. Football with the Mannings, incredible. It they is. just basically bully Peyton the whole time. Yes, because he's such a he's he's so uptight, and Eli oh. is. There's That's this awesome. underlying thing with them, which is such a good... Maybe we do a Family Dynamics episode. There's this underlying thing where Eli knows he was by far the most talented and that if he had worked as hard as Peyton, he would be like borderline Tom Brady, but he never really had to. But he could clearly just be like, okay, I care now. We're going to win the Super Bowl. And then he just does. It was so funny. I love them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it'd be embarrassing to work as hard as Peyton Manning and only be as successful as Eli. I, 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 yeah, ex exactly. That's, ex that's a great way to put it. I remember there, there, it was Eli was in the Super Bowl and they were asking Archie, Peyton is going to like prepare for the Super Bowl. Like that's how he's going to help like mentally get ready and be nervous for Eli. And they're like, Archie, who's going to watch more film for the Super Bowl, Peyton or Eli? And Archie's like, oh, Peyton. He's going to watch more film for Eli's Super Bowl than Eli is going to watch for Eli's Super Bowl. Not even close. <laughs> And Eli won Incredible. against Tom Brady, which is the greatest thing ever. Um, uh, yeah, so as we get into these monarchies, now that they are, for the most part, there are some absolute monarchies still in the world. Saudi Arabia, uh, shouts to the British for just gambling and thinking that Saudi Arabia was not a land worth owning and then just letting them be a kingdom. Totally worked out that well one, eh? for all of us. Yep, that's super great. I love that. Thank you so much. Nothing there that anybody would want. Um, so they're just like a legit monarchy. And I think that they're one of the only ones who's both a legit monarchy and no disrespect, powerful and important. Sorry. Yeah, like a lot of the ones that you named, like you, you named Bhutan, a lot of yeah. countries that are kind of in the British Commonwealth, like St. Kitts and Nevis, for example. Yeah. Not exactly a major international player. Right, but we have to care about Saudi Arabia and the king and the royal family. They're absolutely still a monarchy because, similarly to all the other monarchies, they have all the shit that will protect people. They have yeah, all they, the well, and they, stuff. And they have the world's largest company. I mean, like modern modern protection comes in the form of economic security. And when you have the largest company in the world, Saudi Aramco, uh, then you can you can do a lot of good for the people who stand to benefit from. Yeah, you can do a protection. lot of whatever you want. Like invent a competitive golf league. Oh my god! You can do whatever you want. Um, I cannot believe that exists. I can't believe it either. Nobody cares. <laughs> It's absolutely it's ridiculous. Like the live, not, the no, live don't even say the name. Don't even don't even say the name. Uh, they don't deserve any recognition. I didn't know that they named it that because it was the Roman numerals and they just said it. <laughs> what are we so doing? stupid. What so are, stupid. Like what, what is this? The doing? Super Bowl in 1997. Right. So now, Chris, I'm interested because uh, as Queen Lizzie, uh, R.I.P. Sort of R.I.P. Like we mentioned at the top of the show, the Irish and the Scots are not only sad, but they're super pumped and they're. They are dancing on her grave. Um, you can order at most Irish bars around the world some sort of shot drink called Lizzie in a Box. 
amazing. Yeah, absolutely they're, incredible. Yeah, so they're not they're not bummed at all. But now that it's going to be, uh, we, we've we've gone to another generation. I, I just read an article on the Independent that suggests that he's going to rule similar to like a Swedish or Scandinavian monarch, which means that like going to be even less visible. Like no, one's, people are going to care a little less, and people are starting to suggest that perhaps um, it's going to be phased out when in the next generation with uh, what's his name King. Kate Middleton's husband. I don't know. What the hell is his name? Is, it, is he George too? I don't have a darn clue. William. I know it's Charles now. And I, I know that I know that Charles II, well, like he got heckled the other day. Yeah. Some, some kid called him a sick old man in the middle of a... a, a no, no, that's, that's Prince Andrew. Prince Andrew did that. Oh, that was, someone to, did that to Prince Andrew? Yes, yeah, so Prince, because Prince Andrew is involved in like the funeral, and so the kid heckled oh. Prince Andrew because he is a sick old man. Yes, that's true. He's a pedophile. Yeah. Yes, he is. Right. So that kind of thing is like why everyone's like, well, what are we doing here? So William, the the guy who married Kate Middleton and is like the, I guess, the heir to the throne now, everyone's kind of suggesting like perhaps this is going to be kind of phased out with them and they're starting to like live and hang out among the people. And now you got the the Harry and, and Meghan and they're kind of famous. So people are thinking that it's going to, with every passing generation, it's just going to become more and more low key. However, King Charles does not have to pay taxes on his almost $800 million cash inheritance which is sort of like if you were british you'd be like bullshit yeah i'd I'd be pissed if i was british i mean like this historical holdover is really great you know for national pride and blah 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 but really it's great for the king it's very great for the royal family yes it's then they get to keep existing and it's you watch the crown and you listen to the interviews with megan and like the whole princess diana thing like it does seem like it sucks a lot in a lot of ways however Eight hundred million dollars is about I, what it would cost look, for me to suck that bad. Yeah, it's the same reason that I'm not really ever going to feel any genuine pity for like, like Taylor Swift wrote a lot of like really heartfelt music. Like yeah. when she released like Taylor's version where she just like shit on Jake Gyllenhaal and like the, you know there's there's a lot of genuineness <laughs> and like that's I mean it's real art. But uh, I'm never going to feel bad for somebody as wildly successful and popular and wealthy and influential as Taylor Swift. Like yeah, you're just not, you're just not going to get my pity. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to feel bad for somebody who spent 75 years doing nothing and now has a job and his job is to like, what be a symbol. Yeah. I, I mean, Prince took care of that in half the time. That's <laughs> that. Yeah. It could not possibly think of a see, better way. See what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. What's up? Like Prince, Prince turned himself into a symbol. That's no, what they, no, no sound effects for that. Oh, hold on. Was that not what you wanted? That's cruel. Oh, there it is. I was expecting the crickets. Good use of the sound effects board, by the way. Player three, we hope you missed that. I, uh... (laughs) Thanks, bud. Yeah, so we're going to do an episode about the economics of fall. Depending on when you're listening to this, that might already be out. If there is a reason your pumpkin spice latte doesn't taste good this year, I can promise you that. Chris, who is your favorite king of all time? Who's your favorite monarch? Could be a queen. My favorite monarch of all time. Favorite monarch of all time. Uh, my favorite monarch of all time is probably Freddie Mercury, uh, lead singer of Queen. Ooh, good uh, one. He, I mean, he's he's the king. Yeah, Elvis is the king of rock and roll. Freddie Mercury is the queen of rock and roll. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, that's a good call. I'm going to go with uh, my favorite was Richard Pryor, the king of comedy. The king of comedy. An excellent, excellent choice. Right. <laughs> like, rate, review, subscribe. We'll be back and better than ever next time. Game Theory. R.I.P. the Queen. R.I.P. Get yourself a Lizzie in a box, Chris. Slurp, slurp, baby. Pour one out for old Lizzie.